A warning before we begin. This episode contains material and discussions regarding child abuse and other topics that you may find uncomfortable, triggering of your own experiences, or inappropriate for certain populations. The content presented in this episode are meant to provide an understanding they are not meant to serve or to replace therapy. If you or a loved one needs additional support, please check our show notes for resources. And please take care before listening. Hey, I'm Shaleen, host of The Shaleen Show, and thank you for being here today. I know it can be alarming when I start a show with a trigger warning, but I think it's important. Sometimes you want to hear this stuff, but it's not the right time. You're about to go into a meeting or the kids are in the car or you just aren't in the right space to be able to handle or to hear some of the things that we need to talk about. I don't bring these topics to the show to be sensational or to create controversy or to shock you. I bring them to The Shaleen Show because I know that there are people out there who need to hear this. This this could save somebody's life. Today's episode could change somebody's life. It could prevent a predator from continuing. It's going to enlighten you. It's going to give you some resources, going to help you to understand what is possible. And I think you're actually going to feel pretty empowered and encouraged by the inspirational story of my guest today, Sarah Klein. Sarah Klein and I share this common Michigan bond between us and a connection to Michigan State. Unfortunately, her connection to Michigan State is one that has a rather traumatic association for her. Sarah is a former gymnast. She's also been identified as the first known victim of the former Olympic women's gymnastics doctor, Larry Nassar. Not only is she a survivor of sexual abuse herself, Sarah now specializes as an attorney in representing sex abuse survivors and is nationally renowned as an advocate for legal, cultural, and political changes for the support of victims in the area of sexual abuse. In this episode, we talk about the statute of limitations. We talk about how it is so many of these predators are able to gain the trust of the community, of parents, of patients, why it is some victims feel uncomfortable coming forward. We talk about common feelings of shame and guilt when victims are considering coming forward. In this episode, we talk about the women's gymnastics team, the case against USC's gynecologist. We talk about the Michael Jackson case. We talk about my case. We discuss where to start if you've just today, at 40 or 50 or 60 years of age, just come to grips with the fact that you were sexually abused as a child and what to do next. This is a a heavy topic, but we keep it moving. We keep it as light as possible, but also we're, you know, we're adults here and we're speaking in very frank terms. So again, just a warning to, to listen with great care and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this episode. It's really important. And frankly, an important message like this wouldn't be possible if we didn't have the support of our show sponsors. Show sponsors with brands that I believe in, brands that I use every single day. And I'm really happy today to share with you that today's episode is sponsored by Soul CBD. You get 15% off all Soul CBD products when you go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. That gives you 15% off everything. What do I use? Well, obviously, I love the Sleepy Gummies, their next level. I put the CBD oil for pets on both of our dogs' dog food every single morning. They also get CBD dog treats. And not only are they really helping my two very senior dogs to just move a little easier, but they must really like them too because they completely use the system and pretty much won't do anything unless I give them a CBD dog treat now, which is good because, you know, you can't OD on CBD. You can't take too much. Figuring out the right dosage is important. And again, CBD isn't a miracle drug. It doesn't work for everybody, but it does help to calibrate your central nervous system. So it does aid in anything basically that's impacted by your central nervous system. Don't just try any CBD product because, I mean, you can buy CBD now at the gas station. 
Because there aren't strict laws around labeling, you can buy something that you think has CBD and it actually has THC in it and doesn't have the amount of CBD in it that you think it does. That's why it was really important to me to work with a company that triple lab tests their ingredients. In fact, this is a true story. One of the products I was super excited to promote, and they sent it to me, and I thought it was amazing. I was testing it, thought it was fantastic. And they're like, hold on, hold on. This latest batch that we just got, after doing triple lab testing, discovered that it doesn't meet our standards for purity. And I was like, can I tell people that? Because that speaks volumes about the way that you do business and how much you care about the purity of your product. Anyways, that's one of the reasons why it's important to me to have sponsors who have integrity. You can try Soul CBD and get 15% off when you go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. And again, that was mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. All right, let's get to that interview. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. We have so many cool connections, some of which I don't love that we share, but it's reassuring to know that someone like you, someone who's like really powerful and has a voice is out there fighting and being an advocate for survivors. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and right back at you. I love that you're using your magnificent platform to get some of this info out. Well, the way that we got to meet is interesting. I was trying to find a firm that could help represent this group of women. And our cases were complicated and varied and not clear cut. The firm that you work with is highly recommended. And in fact, one of the things that had me like most excited to meet with your firm is just knowing that you were there. So for those people that don't know your story, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about what it is you do today and the irony of, you know, your purpose? Yes, it's such a full circle moment for me. The irony of my story is that I am a lawyer representing survivors of sexual abuse in civil cases. And I was also once upon a time a plaintiff in a case against former USA Gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser. Gives me chills every time you say that. Uh, you know, it, it's a name that still to this day, it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that someone like you would even recognize that name. Like, you know, Michigan, we're Michigan girls, right? Yeah. It was small town, Michigan. Everybody kind of knew everybody and grew up together. So it's been sort of put together through the timeline that I am one of his first known victims, if not the first. I met Larry and began being abused by Larry at just eight years old. Eight years old. So you were a gymnast at eight years old. Is that why you were treating with him? Yes. And he was not yet a physician. He had not yet been accepted to medical school. He was an athletic trainer volunteering for free at our gymnastics club. And he, you know, found his way into a back room where he set up an old chiropractic table and, and started quote unquote treating. But what we know now was abusing children for the better part mm. of 30 years. And so that is how I have arrived here where I am representing survivors and taking on the people and the entities who failed the children. Wow. If I recall, I heard you share your story that I had assumed you'd gone to law school to specifically advocate in this way. But if I'm not mistaken, you actually decided to go to law school before you even truly recognized that you had been a victim. That's absolutely right. I went to law school in my early 20s and, you know, living my life, went to law school. Then I went and got an MBA and I was working and, you know, just trying to get through life and, and grow up and become an adult. And my life took a real decline and I was depressed and anxious and unable to live up to all of these degrees that I had. And my body started attacking itself. It turned out to be stage four endometriosis. And I became somewhat of a recluse and I could not put my finger on why or what was wrong. And I was in therapy and trying all these things. And I just started really, really withdrawing from life and flash forward mel multiple pelvic surgeries, multiple, you know, loss of most of my ovaries, still not putting any connection together. And 36 years old, my teammate 
from childhood sends me a text message and it's an article in the Indianapolis Star that says Larry Nassar, Team USA gymnastics doctor accused of abuse. And I didn't even need to open it. Really? What was your thought when you read it? You knew. I knew. I knew. And there were things in my adult life psychologically, like going back to the 2012 Olympic trials and seeing Larry down there on the floor, treating the girls where we, I even said, joked with a teammate of mine, they're still letting him around kids, but Mm. we didn't, we didn't identify it. We we identified some of that behavior as weird as adults, but we still loved him. We still loved him. He was our, our friend, our loved one. But I think deep down psychologically, we knew that something was off, but we did not articulate that or even bring that to our conscious minds necessarily until it all came tumbling out. I want to be very careful in the way I ask these questions because there is no way to predict how you're going to react to abuse, how you're going to process it, how you're going to remember it even. So please know that the questions I'm asking you are in no way accusational or judgmental. But I know that there's someone listening who is like, well, if you were treating with him for all those years, did you not at some point think to yourself, oh, that was sexual abuse? Yeah, I love that question. And thank you for asking it, because it is one of those things that I think I can bring into some clarity for your listeners, because it could be happening to their kids right now. So I was eight when it began, and the Mm -hmm. culture in the gym was highly abusive. Our coach, who was the gold medal winning team coach of the Fierce Five at the 2012 Olympics, John Geddert, he took his own life last year after being charged with 24 counts of child abuse. He was physically and emotionally abusive. A scary dude. Oh, scariest. And we'd get sent back to the old treatment room. And there was kind, loving, funny Larry, who in a way was our safe haven. He snuck us food. He was kind to us. When you're eight, like I have a six-year-old daughter. She doesn't know anything about anything, right? When you're eight, what adults tell you is normal becomes normal. What her teacher tells her is normal behavior at school, she thinks is normal. That's right. And so when there are no other adults in the room purposefully, because the parents are very separated from the children and your kid's going to make it to the Olympics if you stay out of the gym and let her focus, it was all I ever knew. And it was... It's not like, hey, little girl, take down your pants. I'm going to do this. It was chiropractic, doctor of osteopathic. I'm going to release this hip and do this and do this. And so there was probably likely very valid medical treatment wrapped into the, and now I'm going to do this, which is blatant sexual abuse. And so the mind of a child, it was very, very confusing. And as I grew into adulthood, it would have blown up the entire paradigm of what I thought I knew about my life to say, hmm, was that sexual abuse? Was that love? Was that medical treatment? And so you just leave it alone and you Mm. bury it and, and you try to muscle through. And that's why I think the average age of reporting child sex abuse is 52. 52? 52 years old. Oh, Um, it makes you wonder how many people, they hit 52 and they're like, what's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disrupt my life. I'm not going to cause pain to the people around me. I've got adult children now. You know, the yep. person who my perpetrator's dead. So yep. this goes with me to the grave. It was so long ago. And I can't tell you how many people in their 50s will call me up and say, finally, I'm, you know, my life hasn't worked out the way I wanted. I've had a substance abuse problem. I've, I've always struggled. I've had a hard time, you know, with, with intimacy or emotional relationships or health issues. Or they call me up and say, something happened and I know it was off, but I was 12 and I couldn't identify it then. And I'm still kind of confused, but I was alone in a room with my coach and they asked me to do this or my teacher, right? That Those kind of fuzzy. I I was a kid then, so I'm not sure it was wrong. And now I'm an adult and I have more perspective, but I still am unsure, but I've never forgotten it. And I can still tell you what that locker room smelled like, right? 
So 52 years old. Wow. 52 years old. I want to get back to your story, but I also, something popped in my head that I wanted to ask you about, and and maybe you've got some information about this, but you said you had stage four endometriosis. And I have heard from so many survivors of sexual abuse that autoimmune diseases and, you know, these things are very difficult sometimes to diagnose. And even endometriosis, the, the incidence of that is much higher in survivors. Is that true? It's absolutely true. I also was diagnosed with Graves disease, which is a thyroid autoimmune that they say is hereditary and nobody in my family's ever had that. Autoimmune, absolutely. It is the body's stress response, right? And and it makes perfect sense when you experience trauma and you've either acknowledged it or especially if you've buried it deep, deep down in the psyche, the body keeps the score. And it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And after I sought out the best endometriosis surgeon in the country, Dr. Ken Sinervo in Atlanta, I had to travel. I came out of my surgery. I was 33. Larry Nasser was not a household name. I wake up and he said, my God, that is one of the worst cases. All I do is endosurgery all day, every day for my entire career. That's one of the worst, craziest cases I've ever seen. You're going to have massive fertility problems. I had to take most of your ovaries. You may never be a mother. Can I ask you something? Have you ever been sexually abused? And it's also a question on his intake form. And I Mm. said, no. Nope, I don't know what you're talking about. Sarah, were you denying it to him, to yourself, or both? Myself, myself. I hadn't acknowledged it. It was not, if you would have said to me at that age, Larry Nassar loved you and was a positive figure in your life. And what he was doing was to release this ligament, to release this bone, to make you compete better. I would have believed you. And that is grooming. I'm not an idiot. I'm an Ivy League educated lawyer, right? I, I was an adult at that point. It went at 36, when it all came out, I was a mother. I do think giving birth and having kids also put it in perspective though yes. of what would I be okay with my daughter's doctor doing to her but no and and that's why I have to keep putting it out there I'd love to be able to say oh yeah I totally knew I was just lying to get out of it that's the easier answer and makes me look you know like I was more hip to it but I want to make it very clear that mm. if I could be fooled if I didn't get it, if I didn't feel red flags, if I didn't feel endangered by this kind, loving man whose wedding I attended, then it can happen to anyone in any community. And I guarantee you from the work that I do, I can promise you that it is. You know, I recently talked about how this case of Wade Robson and Michael Jackson yeah. And how his case was just recently dismissed. And it was one of the most incriminating, apparently, pieces of evidence that they had against Wade is that in an earlier trial against Michael Jackson, he testified on behalf of Michael Jackson that he had never been abused by him, that he was kind and loving and caring and all those things. And then once he had his own child, it really hit differently. I think in the, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the documentary, he said that when he did testify, he kind of knew he was consciously lying to himself. But at this point, he didn't want to be accused of being a homosexual. He didn't want to be accused of, you know, using this man to get ahead. He was married. He just didn't want all of that attention and stigma. And also in his own mind, he was like, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But then when he, you know, did come to grips with the truth, he was ostracized for having tried to protect himself. And that's just disheartening. Yeah, and I I can't speak on details of that case, given that our firm represents those Ah. brave, incredible men, but I did get to go. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did get to go to the Oprah after show special when that documentary aired originally on HBO. And I have to say, I their stories resonate so closely to my own and that what they experienced and what we experienced when we came forward is something 
all too common, which is you literally get dragged through the mud. You get called names and liars and get death threats and all sorts of things. And, you know, that to me, it doesn't affect me so much anymore. But when you think about the fact that you're doing the most vulnerable thing you're ever going to have to do in your life, which is, you know, talk about the most troubling, painful things in your life. And then you're met with pure, vile hatred that does a real number on you. And it makes perfect sense as to why people have really sort of statistically not been coming forward all of these decades. And we weren't even having these Me Too conversations, right? For decades. So that on top of it, there was no role model, you know, in terms of how to navigate coming forward publicly or putting your name on something. And so it's been a real lose-lose for survivors who want to actually actually share their stories and hold their perpetrator to account. Sarah, why is it that the the cases that we're aware of are these cases where there's a lot of victims? I mean, we don't hear about cases where it's one person. And, you know, in this case, it was Wade and, you know, a few others that appeared in the documentary, but there, there were countless other victims before that. In your case, I mean, how many victims were there in total, are they estimating, by Larry Nassar? We know of over 500 at this point, but I'm sure there, I mean, he did this for over 30 years. And why are the numbers high? Yeah. Pedophiles, especially, but perpetrators, all, all, you know, demographics get really, really good at it. Perpetrators are almost never that guy in a dark cape in a dark alley, you know, raping you. They're often the good guy. They're often the wolf in sheep's clothing, the teachers, the coaches, the movie producers, the, you know, the people around kids, the clergy, they have access to victims. And And you don't hear, you don't hear people describing them in retrospect as this monstrous figure. You hear words like, oh, he was a saint. Yeah. He was a miracle worker. I've heard Larry Nassar, like those kinds of phrases are, they're almost biblical. They're almost spiritual. Like, oh, he's like a God. Yes. Yes. And you think of Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen and Michael Jackson, right? What do they all have in common? They were God and Larry Nassar. They were gods in their own world, whatever that world was. And in the case of Nassar, he wasn't actually famous. He wasn't a household name, right? Like a Michael Jackson, but he was famous in his little world. He was running for the school board in Hazlitt or, you know, wherever he lived, Michigan, Mason, Michigan, right? Like he was a god even just in his own little community in Michigan. And that's often the case. They are the pillar of the community. They go to church. They're on the school board. They're the ones volunteering, saving the children, helping the homeless, because it's master manipulation. People buy what you're selling hook, line and sinker. And so they will hand their child over to you and say, you trusted doctor, you trusted, you know, music you know, God, take my child and help them become the best version of themselves. And that is what is so scary about perpetrators and pedophiles, especially. I can't help but wonder, though, if not only is it, you know, the the access that these individuals have because they get really good at it, but I also yeah. can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why we know about these these cases is because there are numbers, two things happen. It's probably easier to get legal representation. It's probably easier for that legal representation to present a case when there's countless victims whose stories match up. And also it's easier for victims. Like you said, there's probably more than 500 victims of Larry Nassar's, but how many had the courage and the strength and the ability to come forward? A few. Wow. A few. And it takes that few to come forward that creates that domino effect. But don't get me wrong, it is so much easier to stand on the shoulders of those who come before than to be that first domino that you know starts the whole thing off. That's the one, that pointy end of the spear that is very rare. And if you are a child being abused by a family member or being abused by a neighbor, you might be 
the only one or at least the only one that you know of or an adult being abused you know in, in by a doctor or whatever how do you know that you're not the only one and so that's where i see people suffering in silence being unwilling to take on the regime unable mm. to, to, to have the fortitude because it's a lot and i give you so much credit for being that pointy end of the spear it's a lot and as you've seen it's a lot to be that one that says i'm gonna do it whatever the consequences i'm gonna tell the truth maybe you can give me some advice because i am working on being a, an empathetic person i want to understand yeah. You know, my, my first reaction is sometimes one that lacks empathy when I will talk to, you know, a victim will call me and they'll tell me their story and it's horrific. And it's like sometimes one of, one of the worst ones. And they want to give me all these details and pour it out and they talk about how wrong it is. And they will thank me for, you know, giving them the courage to tell their story. And then they'll finish by saying, but I need to stay anonymous I will not file a police report. I will not file a claim with the medical board. And I don't want to be part of any litigation. I just wanted you to hear this. And I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I, I, I want to be, I want to be sympathetic, but it also makes me so angry. I, it's, I it takes everything in me not to say, do you understand how important your story is? You got to take, I want to encourage them to take back their power, but I also know, cause I've got a friend who's a therapist that that's not my place. Yeah. So what advice do you have for me? Yeah, I mean, one thing I've learned because I've seen everybody on every sort of part of that spectrum is healing is such a journey and it's not a straight line. And it is the first question we ask ourselves, unfortunately, because we've been conditioned this way by society is when we are harmed, when we are victimized, the first go-to is what does that mean about me? Mm, what yeah. does that mean about me? And to acknowledge that publicly or or to take any action is going to mean something about you and your identity the way you have seen yourself is going to shift and the way other people around you see you is going to shift some are going to be very positive and some are going to be very negative but it will shift mm. what do we know people don't like change People don't like change and it's easier to stay in fear and shame and swim around in that than it is to, to even necessarily see that there could be another side. We have been conditioned not to talk about sex. We have been conditioned, especially not to talk about things relating to sex that might be violent, that might be ugly, that might be horrible. You know, who wants to sit around and picture an adult having sex with a child or a doctor taking advantage of a patient? Patient, right? We don't want to think about it. And so psychologically, it can be easier to go about our merry way. What I can say is if that person is not dealing with this mm -hmm. therapeutically, somehow, some way, it will come back to bite them in the ass. Their body will fail. Their, you know, their relationships will yeah. fail. Their, you know, they, they will have manifestations of harboring trauma within the psyche and within the body that will rear their ugly heads. Unfortunately, I've never seen anybody be able to stuff it away successfully yeah. forever. So when you say it's easier, it's the belief is that it's easier, but it's like yeah. trying to push this overinflated beach ball beneath the surface of the water. And yep. you can only hold it down for so long before it shoots up at the most inopportune time. Beautiful analogy. Exactly right. But for those that just don't want to get involved, but are dealing with it therapeutically, yeah. that might just be their coping mechanism is not to go to battle. Their coping mechanism is to, you know, handle that internally in their mm -hmm. own way. And that I'm like you, I'm on the front lines. I want to shout it from the rooftop, but to swallow that not everybody is wired like that can be a tough pill to swallow, especially when you're trying to effect change to to save others yeah. lives i just want there to be consequences and yep. you know as a lawyer and you practice in multiple states the laws are not i mean maybe i'm, I'm biased but it certainly seems like the laws are really set up to protect perpetrators 
hundred percent. And part of that is that they're just old. They're archaic. Mm. They haven't been dealt with in, in the era of, yes, we talk about these things because yes, these things happen. And in other respects, I think laws are designed to protect money, brand, reputation, entities. And, you know, how are laws changed? Laws are changed through lobbying those who hold office, state office, you know, or otherwise, you know, federal office, or U.S. senators, so on and so forth. But how do people become elected if they're not appointed? Right. It's money. It's money. Surprise. All roads lead back to money. And so, you know, laws in Pennsylvania in terms of statutes of limitations aren't changing. Why? Because the Catholic Church is is funding millions of dollars worth of lobbying in order to, you know, keep these bills from being passed so they don't go bankrupt or they don't face liability. No to every entity potential defendant ever listening, it will cost you less to do the right thing than it will (laughs) to not. So, you know, it would cost less for these statutes to protect children, protect people from predators than it would for the church who harbored predators and who were on notice about these predators to settle civil lawsuits, right? For those who aren't maybe familiar with legal terminology, let's talk about statute of limitations. So can you speak a little bit about what is a statute of limitations and what are they as they pertain to victims of sexual abuse? And I'm sure it varies by state. Absolutely. So the statute of limitations is essentially the window in which a victim of a crime has to report it or file a lawsuit, have access to the courts. There are different statutes for the criminal system and different statutes for the civil system. And you are exactly right. They vary vastly state by state. As you can imagine, it's all tied up in politics and it's all tied up in you know, sort of how, you know, which way the Senate and and the House swing in that particular state in a particular year. So it's very, very political. We have seen in the last few years, especially a trend towards better law. I've been personally on the front lines. I've testified in multiple states at this point. We got this great window legislation passed in New York where adult survivors of child sex abuse all of a sudden had a free pass for two years. At age 75, you could file a case for what happened to you when you were five, right? What do you mean? What do you mean? Um, Wait a second. What what do you mean? Yes. You had to wait till you were 75 years old? No, I'm saying that person whose statute ran way, way long ago got this great revival window in which they could file a suit. California is is amidst a three-year window. So if you were sexually abused as a child in the state of California, you can file a civil lawsuit. You have access to the courts for a limited period of time to file a case where you are not subject to the statute of limitations, which is brilliant. Can you walk me through an example? Because I'm kind of lost. So, so if, let's say you, I was a, a I'm a victim who was sexually molested at age whatever eight nine, yep, and yep. I don't come to grips with this even even admit it to myself, fully understand it until I'm in therapy and I and I'm 39 years old. Yes. What can I do? Yes. So in particular states, you may have access to the courts for a limited window. So for example, in New York, you're out of luck because that window closed. It was a two-year, one and done. File all your suits now. Two years from the time of what? No, two years just arbitrarily. Oh, just like surprise, everybody. We're lifting the statute was enacted, for two years. It Quick. was enacted in 2019, and it was supposed to be a one-year window, and then it got extended because of COVID and was a two-year window. So that is something we're trying to get in every state so that adult survivors of child sex abuse have access to the court. But wouldn't it be better if just... Every state said no statute of limitations backwards or forwards because that protects perpetrators. I mean, you still have to go through the judicial system and prove your case, right? Like it's not a free pass to, you know, finding somebody guilty, but it's just getting your foot in the door. 
That's what I'm talking about, getting your foot in the door. And in many, many states, our laws do not even allow you to get your foot in the door. An excellent resource for this is childusa.org. It's a wonderful nonprofit that I work with. And if you click on law, you can literally look at a map of the United States and click on every single state and you can see what the current statutes are. And you can learn about that window legislation to see if perhaps your state is amidst a window where you'd need to take recourse immediately, or if we have something on the horizon in terms of that. But it's mind-blowing. I'll give you a great example. We have a case, a doctor, a pediatrician, pedophile case in the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has horrible, horrible law, very Catholic state. We've been pounding the pavement for years. This pediatrician pled guilty. He's in prison for the rest of his life. In terms of the civil case, if you were under 30 years old at a when we filed the case you had recourse if you were 31 you did not same perpetrator same doctor same sexual abuse Why? but the law cut you off at 30 years old that's the statute of limitations Makes when you no say sense. this this pediatrician pled guilty can you share his name yes dr jack bartow it's a pediatrician pedophile case and in his criminal case he pled guilty and did he plead guilty to a number of counts, a number of incidences? Correct. Correct. Okay. How many known victims are there? We are ongoing in litigation mm. in the civil case, so I cannot comment on that, though I will say there are multiple, multiple, multiple victims. And this is a, a pediatrician. Correct. A person who you assume loves children for the right reasons, wants to treat and help children. He's taken a, an, an oath to do no harm to children, and he's harming children. He's destroying children. 40 plus, 45 years in practice. Wow. Pled guilty. Wow. Another case that I know, and maybe you can't speak to this, so you know I certainly understand that, but there mm-hmm. was a gynecologist at USC, mm-hmm. Dr. Tinder. Tindall. Tindall, mm-hmm. that's right, Dr. Tindall. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit or what you can about that particular case. Yeah, so he was your health services gynecologist, right? A lot of times you get to college and it's the first time you're even seeing a gynecologist. Yep. For the most part, most of us, right? Yeah. And because up until then, we've been seeing our pediatrician for the most part. And so (laughs) we we get to college, we make an appointment, maybe we go to health services and we say, you know, we'd like to explore birth control or I, you know, would like to have my first pap smear, which we know is really important and critical, or I'm having this pain or whatever. I'm having pelvic pain from my endometriosis. I'd like to see the gynecologist. You would be seeing Dr. George Tyndall, who was the university gynecologist who we know now was using his position of authority at the university to sexually abuse hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of, of young women at the university under the guise, once again, of medical treatment. We were in litigation on that case for several years. The case recently settled last year, the end of last year, for close to a billion dollars. With a B? Uh, with a B. With that a B. Me, that makes me happy. Yeah. And, and what people need to know about civil cases, you mentioned it with the Jackson case. It's just about money. These girls, these women, they just yep, want yep, money, yep. right? You can't put a university in prison last time I checked. You can't pick up the University of Southern California and put them behind bars. You also cannot begin to calculate the damages of sexual trauma, of that kind of a breach in trust psychologically, the physical manifestations of sexual trauma will have on your life. You are not 99 years old on your deathbed right now. So for example, I'm 40, almost 43 years old. Looking Um, good, girl. Thanks, girl. If I calculated 
the damages just of Nassar, IVF, pelvic surgeries, out of pocket, therapy for the forever, right? You know, all of the th- loss of earnings, not being able to come out of my house for seven years, right? You can't put a price on taking away somebody's ovaries. How much did my ovaries cost? Somebody w- want a wager to put a money amount on that? I don't think you can. And I've had to pay and pay and pay and pay for what I now know to be Mm. the repercussions of 17 years of penetration starting as a child. So, so civil cases are not about money. It's about money in that sense. It's about consequences. It's it's also about who knew what, when criminal case ends guilty or innocent. That's the only thing a criminal case is addressing. Did that person do the act or not against this person or this person or this person? Oftentimes, not all cases in Nassar. I think there were nine charged cases in the criminal case, not 500, nine, nine. But what the civil process does is it tells you who knew what, when, when was it reported? Why didn't they do anything? We see criminal charges. We're pulling all the culpable parties. All the culpable parties. More criminal charges brought against other people who look the other way. You will not get answers to your story oftentimes in these bigger cases without a civil case. My very last thing I I addressed recently, all California police chiefs in the state of California and all women in law enforcement in the state of California, two different events. The number, and you're going to know a lot about this, the number of criminal cases that are passed on is like in the 98th 96th percentile either they just don't have enough evidence or it's going to be a he said she said and they don't want to put the victim through a trial if they don't think they can actually achieve some justice oftentimes they are not permitted to even charge the case so what happens what happens to those cases sometimes not always there is civil recourse and you Mm -hmm. can do something civilly the Nasser civil charges were filed before the Nasser criminal sh- charges were filed. Ah, that's interesting. I don't know. One domino can affect the other and vice versa. It gives me some hope. Yes, 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 yes. Because these are crimes that are often, more often than not, unwitnessed. Yep. Enshrouded in, in shame. And yep. they're often crimes where it is someone of lesser authority lesser statue, lesser financial means, yep. making an accusation against a beloved, prestigious, white coat wearing, well-respected yep. member of the community. And so, you know, it's in all of us to have this cognitive dissonance that people of authority that we trust don't do these things. Like this goes yep. against our, you know, everything that we believe to be true and safe in the world. So even, you know, even people who are very credible when you come forward and and have these things to to say and to say that this happened, people doubt you and they question you. Yep. Yeah. And add on top of that being a child or add on top of that, you know, it being your uncle or your dad or, you know, your everybody's favorite teacher. You know, there are a lot of layers. We are taught to be rule followers, not to be disruptors. And I think it's about time we really look at how we're raising our kids. Mm -hmm. But it's easier to go along with it than it is to go against the grain. And so that's why I love people like you, people like me. All the, you, you don't have to be out there publicly pounding the pavement. There are things people can do to be disruptors anonymously, right? It doesn't it doesn't take a name to call up your, your state legislator right. and say, I demand that those laws be changed. I recently had a guest on the show talking about medical fertility fraud. And we created an Instagram reel together to bring attention to some legislation that she's trying to make sure people know about in terms of their fertility rights in in a variety of states. And just by just the sheer number of people who shared that reel has made a dramatic difference in getting that legislation back on state floors. And, you know, she's like, it's just remarkable. And so I just want everyone to know that what you just said, Sarah, is so profound and true. We're not asking everyone to, you know, go down to their local state capitol and march in front of it with a sign. Sometimes it's just as much as sharing this podcast, sharing an Instagram post, sharing a petition. We educate ourselves. We 
we have to advocate for ourselves. We have to take care of each other because otherwise politicians, dirty money are at the core of this. Speaking of dirty money, the case that your firm was involved with, the USC OBGYN, I have heard, and I'm, I'm sure it's just an assumption or allegation, probably an assumption, that because of that case in particular, that many of the insurance companies that insure doctors have changed policies to limit policies where there is some form of sexual misconduct so that the payout is so low on those cases that attorneys are less likely to take a case where a doctor has sexually assaulted, sexually abused, or raped a patient. That makes me sick. I haven't heard that. But Would it surprise you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Where there's money involved, nothing surprises me anymore, unfortunately. I love what you said about just the idea of rights. I want to throw this in there. If you ask an average American citizen to to recite their Miranda rights, Mm -hmm. they're all going to be able to do it, right? They're going to be able to quote law and order and say, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What you say can and will be used. We can all say that, right? right? We We all know that. We've all seen that TV show. Those rights are for somebody being charged with a crime or in custody, yeah. right? That, that's, that is the person, those are for rights of somebody being in, in custody with law enforcement. If you said to the average person, what are your fertility rights? What are your crime victims' rights? There's a whole list of rights that crime victims have in terms of their process. You talk a lot about what are the rights of a patient, Right. What are patient rights? Why don't we know those things? Why aren't we talking about those things? Why are why why do we all know the the rights of the person, you know, being questioned or interrogated or in custody with law enforcement instead of understanding our rights as a patient, as a victim? And why aren't we teaching those things more often? It goes back to that. Everything has been so skewed pro perpetrator and not pro pro-victim. And that's what's got to change. Oh my gosh. Big work ahead of us. I want to speak specifically to that person who might be listening, who either they have a family member or friend who they know was a victim or they themselves were. And they're like, I'm just so overwhelmed hearing this right now. I feel sick to my stomach. I don't even know where to go, what to start, or if I should do anything. Any advice on where to start? Yeah, that's an average response. First of all, you are normal for having that response. This is heavy duty stuff. And I have been in those shoes and walked in those shoes. And so for that person listening, I see you and I hear you and I feel you and I believe you. Mm. Um, And if nobody's ever said that to you before, let me be the first. I believe you and you should have lived a life without trauma period. We all have that right. We deserved that. And so for anybody listening, you deserved a life without this. And and there can be healing on the other side of this, I promise. But there are steps you can take. There's beautiful online communities of, of survivors, you know, our, our paths crossed and I respond to as many people as, as possible. There are support groups, there are podcasts, there are, you know, just so many of us that are, are ready and willing to envelop you. There is no statute of limitations on filing a police report. It can be Mm. a very empowering thing thing to do. A lot of times when my clients call me and maybe they don't have a great statute and this happened a long time ago, the simple act of walking into the police station and filing that report just to file the report, even if nothing can be done, can be very, very empowering. And that can be recourse. And then also, yeah. you know, criminal statutes of limitation, civil recourse, it's worth looking into. If you think that person is out there, if you think that person could be hurting somebody else, I would consider turning the tables, taking your power back and putting them in the position of having to defend themselves because chances are they've been getting away with this for too long. Where there is one victim, there are often many. And so keep that in mind. And every voice counts. Every voice matters. And a story and a passion for change can change the freaking world. And so you don't have to be 
famous rock star with an amazing Instagram following, <laughs> a story and a passion for making sure that not one more person is hurt can be enough to to take that first baby step. And when you are ready, we are here, arms wide open, and we are on the right side of history because there is a right side of history when it comes to abuse in any form. And so to whoever's listening, I love you and I believe you. Sarah Klein, you are a force, fierce, powerful advocate. And I am so happy that you have the strength and courage to use your pain to help others in, in this way and, and not just help others, but like restore the power balance. I freaking love it. I mean, someone <laughs> like you just makes me, it just makes me so happy. I mean, the moment I met you, I'm like, yes, like this is who I want to be aligned with. We need more women and men. We just need more victims to know that it's their power to take back. It was theirs all along. Someone robbed them of it and you need to go back and take it into your own hands, whether that's by you taking care of yourself or taking further action or taking steps to make sure that it doesn't happen to anyone else. Yes, that is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely it. I love it. And <laughs> I look bright and shiny at 43, but I lived many, many decades in the shadows. And mm. so if I can do it, barely getting by, crawling along, anybody can do it. And and we are all here to support all survivors in this family that we never asked to be a part of, but we find ourselves in to make the world a little bit safer. You've got a great podcast. It's called Bar Fight. Love the name. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen yes, on a bunch of documentaries fight. lately. I mean, you yep. just, uh, I love it. And is there any place else that you're pretty active that people can reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-G Klein. I am all over Google, all over. I got a TED Talk. I've got, you know, all sorts of stuff out there. And we'll have links to all of that in our show notes. So you guys don't even have to write it down. Just swipe up on the show art below it. You'll see the show notes. You can expand those and you'll see links to all of the places Sarah referenced today in our interview, as well as her social media and website and podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for being a guest today. I I really appreciate you. you. Thank you, my sweet friend. We will do this together. Yes, I love it. It was awesome. If you enjoyed this show, please don't forget to make sure you are subscribed and following along. The Shaleen Show is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and most every podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell us specifically what you enjoyed. We'd love to know. The Shaleen Show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For Tuesdays and Thursdays, be sure to follow and subscribe to Shaleen's other podcast, Build Your Tribe, which she co-hosts with her son, Brock Johnson. It's all about business, social media, and marketing, and devoted to helping you make more money and live more life. Links to anything referenced in today's episode, as well as show sponsors and other podcasts, can be found below in our show notes.